Today's text, as it has been for uh, several weeks, and it will be through the remainder of the series, is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. We are in a series called Beacon of Life. If you are new to our church, we're, we are a new church. And we haven't really quite launched yet. We call this our soft launch period. And this is a, the word that we are really, you know, just marinating on, meditating on, what it means to be, you know, light in a dark place. What it means to be salt. And so let's read this passage and then we will um, talk about the how and uh, the wherewithal. So let's, verse 13, this is the word of God. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do People light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's the word of God. As we're talking about, this is the passage that we've been, um, been, been chewing on for, for weeks now. And what does it mean to shine? To be salt, and I, I've, I've taught you that um, this is a commentary that our city, our town, is dark, and that there is a people that have to shine. We're, we're, we should shine not just so that only the other people who happen to know something about Jesus would figure out there's a place here that they go worship at, but actually so that even those who don't know our Father in heaven will say hey, their God is, does something that has a great effect upon our city. We need them. That's really what Jesus is saying. And throughout this series, we are looking at various different hows. What, is, what does that look like? And last week, we looked at this verse. It's a challenging verse. And so I believe that the commentary for this, the hows of this, is all in this really famous passage that's uh, there's multiple verses where the blessed are's. It's called the Beatitudes. And blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. We talked about that. But last week we looked at this very challenging verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be salty for our city. And salt... Salt, I mean, for those of you who weren't here in previous messages, I mean, so forgive me if you've heard this multiple times, but if you haven't heard this, salt back then is not just about taste. Salt is really the difference between life and death. For without salt, the food rots, and you're not going to make it through the winter. The food will rot, and it's Jesus' commentary to saying that if the people who belong to God will not be salty, then the culture and the people and their life will rot and they'll die. That's what he's saying. So we must be salty. Salty for our neighbors. It really is a difference between life and death. That there is, there is a lot of death and dying in our city. There are people who, if they don't get a certain promotion, they'll spiral into depression. If they don't get into certain circles or certain successes or they don't make their mortgage or they get fired and then they get and then they, uh, then, they, then they lose their house, they will spiral into other kinds of addictions. I mean, this is darkness. And where will the people be who will be salt for them so 
they won't be dying or die. That's salt. So this is the verse that I would like us to immerse, um, to, to really pay attention today. And it really is a companion to last week where it says, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a companion verse. They really go together. This is it, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Why? They shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's what I want to talk about. It's a huge subject, actually. And um, let's get into it. <laughs> I have a lot to kind of like, oh, I got I to watch my clock here. I have a lot to share with you today. And so let, let's get into it. Part one, the double meaning of mercy in the Bible, right? Part one, the double meaning of mercy in the Bible. There's more than one meaning. It's important that we, we have both. Part two, why are we so bad at being merciful? So you notice there's a, there's a <laughs> assumption in here. Most people generally are not very good at mercy. Um, and I would say in the Bay Area, especially in Silicon Valley, we're terrible. <laughs> this is a really unmerciful city. So why are we so bad about this? And I want us to wrestle with this a bit. And that's the Christians too. We're not just talking about the unbelievers. It's those in the churches. We're not good at this. And then part three, recipients of mercy to being givers of mercy. Recipients of mercy to givers of mercy. That's the way we want to become. So let's go to part one. Um, it's a simple word, but it's huge. Um, I, what I want to do is just take you through some passages in the Bible. When Jesus is talking about blessed are the merciful, he's not talking about one theme, just one theme in the Bible. It is a huge theme in the Bible. If, if the people of God are not merciful, it's pr practically we're not the people of God. <laughs> if, we, if we are a people of God, we have, are a people that have received mercy. All of life is mercy. You know that everything in your life is mercy. Every day you wake up, we don't deserve God's goodness. We deserve God's rejection. We deserve his punishment, actually. And so if you go through a day and something bad happens to you and you say, oh, maybe it's because it's karma and I deserve this. You know, the, the reason why there's a pagan concept of karma out there is because deep down there is an image of God in us and we know that we're failing the way God wants us to be. So whether you're not a Christian, you believe in something like karma, or you are a Christian and you know that there is a standard from God and we're not making it, do you know that that means if we're not making it, then there has to be mercy. Now let me just take you to certain passages. This is a huge theme out of the Bible. So first, first passage, this is Exodus chapter 34. I want to just, want to blitz you through some really important passages. This passage is, by the way, is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. So what's happening here is that Moses is on Mount Sinai. Uh, God is about to destroy all of Israel for um, basically building a golden calf and then calling that calf Yahweh. That's what they did. They built a false god and then called him by the name of the holy God, and God is about to kill them all. And then Moses intercedes on their behalf, and then he pleads for mercy. And then he asks for something really incredible. He says, I want to see your glory. 
And then God says, well, you can't see my face, otherwise you will die. I'll put you in a crevice, and then I'll pass by, and you get to see my back. That's, what, that's what's going on. So one of the most important passages in the Bible. So this is a, Moses is a man who, according to the Bible, gets to talk to him like he's a friend. And then this is what happens. So here's, here's the verse. So God passes by. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. That's Moses. And proclaimed the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful. There it is. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. All those are words that means really, really bad sin. <laughs> but who will by no means clear the guilty. So he is not just a person who is merciful, but he is just. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. Very relevant today in, 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 the, in, in light of our baptisms. To the third and fourth generations. Now, why is this so important? In one of the most seminal revelations of who is God, God says, this is my name, and then he describes who he is. And immediately he says, Yahweh, Yahweh is my name, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, this, this description of God, it's repeated multiple times in the Bible, just like two places. Psalm 103, Psalm 145, it comes up again. If you ever have a description of God, and this is not what he's like. So I want to just give a, I mean, this is not a popular thing to say. Everybody thinks they know God. They say God. So for instance, they say, your God and our God is the same God. So those people who call their God Allah, they say the God of the Bible and the God of, um, of the Quran is the same God. But when they describe their God, is he this kind of a God? Merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's, it's shaky. It's, it's not clear. And lots of other gods throughout, you know, the other, other different, different depictions of God, this is not the fundamental description and depiction of who this is. But this is God himself describing who he is. Now, I want you to stop for a moment. There's so many other pastors I could show you. But um, I said there's a double meaning to mercy. This is the first one which is that if God is not merciful, we all die. <laughs> because he is abounding in steps, last love and faithfulness, forgiving, forgiving. This is, what, this is what mercy means. He's forgiving. He's forbearing. Forbearing is to like hold back on what we deserve. And what we deserve is condemnation. What we deserve is rejection. What we deserve is punishment. And so... This is like, this is the most basic fundamental teaching of the Bible. It's really unpopular. We live in this really relativistic period where people feel like they can pick and choose whatever God they're interested in. I'll take a little of, uh, you know, little Hindu God here, and I'll take a little of like New Age over here, and maybe even a little Christian stuff over here. And maybe there's a God, and I'm not, I'm a bit of a, an agnostic and we have this picture that there's some, there must be some God up there. But you notice there's no clarity of picture of God. And there isn't an emphasis 
that we desperately need mercy. Relativism does this. It just flattens everything out and we want to make everything gray. Why do we want to make everything gray? Because if there isn't clarity of what is truly righteous and holy, what is on the white side versus what is on the black side, it goes like, well, it's nice. We can just, it's all relativistic. Nobody really knows, right? Well, you know what? It's not just, it, it seems very, very humble, but it's not. What's happening in our time is we all want to basically think, I'm, you know, I try hard. I'm a decent person. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can try hard and you can be a decent person, but you don't deserve mercy. I know this is really hard to hear. Now, this is not fun to say, but let, let me say one, one thing worse, okay? All right, so that, that was like not bad enough, right? Um, all our righteousness, what we think when we think we're being good people, according to the Bible, are even our good things. I said this last week. I said this last week that, you know, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we don't even hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. We hunger for our righteousness. We want to say we're righteous. I did X, Y, Z. I have good intentions. Therefore, I'm good. But God says that's not good. According to the Bible, our righteousness is bad. It's corrupted. So let me ask you something. You, have a, you go to work, and your boss is very, very nice to you because, well, you know, he's about to say, well, in two weeks, I got to, like, work you really, really hard like a dog. <laughs> and then when you really work really, really hard, I'll get promoted. <laughs> but for about a week, super nice to you. And, of course, he has good intentions toward you, or she has very good intentions toward you, but insists, I'm a good person because I have good intentions toward you. And how could anybody see that as a bad thing? Now, let me ask you. If they have that agenda in there, is that real righteousness? Hmm? Is that real righteousness? And to the, on the outside, we can fake it, and we do. We fake it to our friends, to our spouses, to our bosses, to our coworkers, all the time. We put on the good face on the outside, but God is never fooled. Hmm. On the inside, he says, well, and from your heart to on the outside, maybe your external behavior is very, very nice. You did buy lunch for your coworker or you for the person who works for you. That's really, really nice. And they're really, really appreciative. And then a week later, they're really working you really hard. And they know it's not about the good of the company. It's just for them. And I'm just picking one. The, the girlfriend that you're so nice to because, you know, if you're not nice to her, she might, you know, get you. And so you really, you're nice to her out of insecurity and fear. Is that real? Is that real love? Is that real righteousness? But on the outside, it sure seems good. But God is not fooled. Even our righteousness deserves a lot of mercy. It needs mercy. Apart from mercy... God will sweep us all away. You know, like history, let me tell you what history is. History is mercy. <laughs> Early in the Bible, there's, there's a really, really important historical event happens, and it's a really horrific event. So we have this uh, teaching um, to children. There's a flood. God killed everybody. And then there's like, you know, nice little animals <laughs> going up this nice little picture. But then they never think about 
why Noah is depressed after it's over because when the floodwaters recede, there's like dead bodies everywhere <laughs> because God killed everybody. <laughs> and you know what that's saying? God's saying, this is actually what you deserve. <laughs> that's crazy. And no one, none of us want to believe this. We all want to think that we're better than we actually are, but this is the first definition of mercy that God withholds. And he gives to us goodness that we do not deserve. And he holds back wrath. It's the first definition. Moral failure and impure righteousness. All right, that's a big one. Now I want to, that's a big one and I know that's a big and heavy word. But let me, I want to really kind of um, emphasize the second one. Because in the Bible, this is important too. And this one is more popular with our, in this day and age. And that is especially to have mercy and compassion on those who are weak and poor. So let, let's, let, let me get, take you to, this is the verse that I started off our worship um, with. Zechariah chapter 7, 8 to 10. And this is what it says. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show, here we go, mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor. Everybody who has a disadvantage in our culture, right? Do not plot evil against each other. This is the way, this is the call. Let's go, let's go to Ezekiel chapter verse 34. So this is what he says to Israel, especially the, leader, um, the leaders of Israel, because God is not happy. This is what he says. So, I mean, this is a bigger passage, but I want to just... just uh, Verse 34, verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That seems like a description of our city. <laughs> when I read this, I'm like, oh gosh, that seems really, really familiar. It's like Facebook, Google, <laughs> Apple, our whole town. This is it. The weak you have not strengthened. You just got rid of them. Isn't this how we feel? Oh, you, we just get cut. We feel this all the time. This is the norm of our city. But this was God's accusation to his people. Now, let me give you one more. This one is, um, this is the toughest of all. This is from Jesus. So, Jesus is so kind and he's so... He's, so, he's always so kind and nice to us, right? No. <laughs> okay, this is Matthew chapter 25. And um, let me give you, let me just set the table for you. He is telling you what judgment day is going to look like. So he's going to return and he's going to separate out people. The goats go on the left hand and they condemn. The sheep on the right hand and they are received. And this is how he describes what's going to happen. So this is... I'm going to go to the latter portion here. This is chapter 25, verse 41. Then he, that's the son of man, which is really actually he's talking about himself, will say to those on his left, these are the people that are condemned, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. 
naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer. They will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he, this is Jesus, will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And here's one of the most scary verses in the Bible. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hmm. Now I'll stop for a moment. Um, are you scared? If you're not scared, you're crazy. <laughs> okay, you're crazy. Um, are you a person that sees somebody hungry and feeds them? Sees somebody naked and wants to clothe them and actually not just want to clothe them, but you actually do? You see someone in prison? You know, there's all kinds of prisons. There's like prison, prison. Any of you ever been to a prison? Right? I think we have like maybe just a couple. But there's the prison of depression. There's a prison of anger. There's the prison of resentment. There's the prison of, of, uh, of addiction. You ever visit people who are in the prison of addiction? It's not fun. It's not a fun thing to do. And they're not fun to be around. <laughs> do we do this? That's not what we do. <laughs> now why is, it sounds like, wait a second, isn't the gospel by grace, not by works. But it sounds like Jesus just said that if you don't do these works, you're going to go to hell. Oh my goodness. That's what he seemed to say. And all throughout, the Lord is upset with his very own people. Again and again, he says, I'm a God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who I am. If you know me, will you be forgiving as I am forgiving? Will you actually forbear other people's wickedness? Because I'm forbearing your wickedness. And then wouldn't you also do this too? When they are weak, when they are poor, when they are the outsider, will you actually have compassion on them? Will you actually go seek them? And this is, a, this is what I want to teach about this. Right? If you know God, this is a covenantal relationship. And here's what I mean by covenant. Covenant means that we are united to him and bound close to him. So let me try to give you this example. Um, a covenant is like marriage. Now, if you ever knew my wife, and then you knew me, and then you never saw that I had no softness, no kindness, no humility, you would say, is that guy really married to grace? Because my wife is kind, soft, gentle, full of integrity. You would go, my goodness, nothing of her ever wore off on him. Are they married? Wouldn't you think that? Well, I would hope you know, like I'm not anywhere near <laughs> as gentle and kind and as humble as my wife, which is why I adore her. But I hope that after 22 years of marriage, something of her beauty and her goodness has worn off on me, right? And the little goodness <laughs> that I have hopefully has worn off on her, right? And this is what God is saying. If you know who I am, I'm merciful. It's super basic, if you have a relationship with me, the very first thing I give to you is mercy. You didn't have to be my child. I don't have to forgive you. When you were poor, I could have left you out. And to God, 
you know, it sounds like there's two different buckets. There's the poverty bucket, and then there's the sin and iniquity bucket. There's the moral failure bucket, and then there's the poverty and being the outsider bucket. But to God, they're not two different things. They're the one and the same. It looks like two meanings of mercy because we tend to think of it this way because we like to separate our money from our morality. We like to uh, you know, go, oh, but you know, it's, it's really strange. We don't actually do that. Do you know that most of us, that as soon as we make a little bit more money, and then we, we actually think we're better people. <laughs> it's funny how that is. We make a little bit more money, and somehow we always think we deserved it because we did it by our hard work and our great talents, and we actually think we're better people. And then the ones that can't quite get the success that we had, we, what do we do? We're, because, you know, they just don't work that hard. It's because there must be some character defect in them. But to God... They're not like two different buckets. They're the one whole person. And all of us, to him, all of us are utterly poverty. We're just, we're all bums. We're all homeless. We're all orphans. You know why we're wicked? Because we don't have a dad. You know why we're on the outside? Because we're really not actually citizens of heaven. That's why we act like people of the sewer. So because we're wretched and poor, then we are, we act wretched and poor. We act wretched and poor because we belong on the outside of heaven. We don't actually belong in heaven, we actually belong in hell. But to God, that's what he sees. And then the first thing you know what he has to do? Mercy. Mercy. Every day you and I wake up, you're like, I hope God is like, you know, he should, you know, give me the, he should give me the promotion. You know, I don't know why that person is so, you know, cutting me off because, you know, hey, I should have just a clear path to work, right? I mean, you know, I always think I should have a clear path to work. I don't know what all these jokers are doing. And so then I get really angry with them. You're a really bad driver. And, you know, then the middle finger doesn't come out, but I want it to <laughs> often, right? Okay. Keep the finger down. And sometimes you get upset. God, why does that person have to come in here? And you know what that is? It's entitlement. That's what it is. But every day we wake up, we need mercy. And he gives it again and again and again. Let's go to part two. Why are we so bad at being merciful? Now, I want to just kind of give you two broad reasons. Okay? Two broad reasons. Um, the first one is, let's go to the deeper one, which is to the heart. There are heart issues. So let me give you a verse. Um, and uh, there's a, multiple heart issues I could give to you, but I, this is the one that I, I see people doing all the time in our city. I do it too. I'm not, you know, like free of this. So um, uh, this came from our, actually, I got this little epiphany last week in, in our choir. I was like, oh, this will be good for next week. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So this is our... Um, this was uh, actually, if, I don't know if you uh, track with our, our devotions, but this was one of our devotion passages. So this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He says, um, not that we, that is the apostles, the pastors of the gospel, we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. So the Corinthian church is accusing Paul of not being a good pastor. We like these other guys. And he's saying like, well, they go around comparing themselves to each other. And he goes, we don't do that. And he, but then this is what he says. 
But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. When they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. Now let me ask you this question. Who's the biggest person in your life? If you wake up and you're, if you're a really lonely person and there's no other important and big person in your life, the biggest person in your life is you. That's a very, very bad person to be at the center of the most important person in your life. You should not be the most important person in your life. You'll become very, very insecure. And immediately, as soon as you bump up against other people, you're going to be like, I'm, I'm better looking than this person. I'm smarter than this person. You know, like her dress isn't as nice as mine. Oh, I don't, it's such a bad brand. That's what we do. But, you know, and other things too. If what we do is we measure ourselves and then what we do is we compare. You know, this is what we do all the time. That's exactly the opposite of covenant. If you are united to God first, you know first what is coming, what's coming at you in this relationship all the time. The most important person is there. Mercy just flows out at you. And as soon as you're in his mercy, you know what that means? The, the biggest and most important person has just filled you up even though you don't deserve it. And now you can be secure. And then you can go out and then if someone is weaker than you, if somebody fails you, if someone lets you down, you're not pulling out the middle finger. You're not accusing them. You're not being bitter toward them. Instead, you're saying, wait a second, I failed someone else. But instead, what we are is, it's about me. Or maybe it's about somebody else. Maybe it's the biggest person in your life, and then that, that means you're a pleaser. <laughs> maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's your boss. And that is the person that has the power to put fear into you. Or maybe you just have this person in your life and they are like the picture of, of your life, the life that you want, because you're a covetous person. I wish I had a wife as pretty as them. I wish I could drive a car as nice as them. I wish I was as nice as them. But so then, when you get before them, it's all performance. It's all comparison. So whenever we do that, here's what happens. Either you measure up to this person or you're better than this person or somebody else, they either morally fail you and then immediately I'm, I'm better than you because I'm comparing. There's two people, you got a coworker and they fail you. Why did you do that? Now we're going to get dinged on our performance review and I'm not going to get my, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get promoted. Why did you do that? In our group project, now I'm going to get a B plus and I am not going to get into Stanford. And so this is what we do. And, oh, why did you do that, son? Now, you know, people will think we're not a good family. <laughs> because as soon as somebody else fails you, either morally, then they're below you. And now, is there mercy? Is there mercy? No. There's like, the, there's like wrath. <laughs> so, but if you are if you are united to someone else and you're not comparing yourself, you versus somebody else, instead, you're always covenantally united to the most important person and what you immediately get every morning is mercy. You're like, Jesus, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your kindness. I don't deserve your forgiveness. Then when you go meet that person, you're not above that person. Neither are you below that person. You're saying, you know what? You're weak like me. 
You're weak like me. And then, mercy that you have received, you have a chance to give them mercy. That's the first one. Now, let me give you a second one. Um, contextual. So, I, I do think that being merciful to other people, it's easier in some cities than in others. And in our city, it's hard, okay? We are fighting an uphill battle to be a merciful people, to be a merciful community, to be a house of mercy, as this message says, right? We are fighting an uphill battle. And, um, you know, this is a city where you, it's very work-driven and we expect long hours. Some of you, because, not despite, but because you're very, very good at your job, you get, you get the privilege of flying to the other side of the world, right? And then you get the privilege of coming back jet-lagged, and then they'll give you a promotion next year. And there's not going to be a lot of energy left over to practice mercy. But, brothers and sisters, I want to just talk about this, especially um, merciful to our neighbors. Just, just, let's just think about this for a moment, okay? Um, the work is hard. The standards are high. The rent is large. <laughs> the mortgage payment is big. That's hard. But then there are other things that, like, we, it's make, we make it harder. We, like, I got to send my kid to that school over there, and I have to drive to that side of town, <laughs> And then I have to make more money to pay for that tuition to, to put my kid into that. Oh, and then on top of that, then I have to put my kid into soccer. And then I have to put my kid into jujitsu. You know, like that, I'm guilty of that one there. And like, jujitsu. That, that doesn't cost too much, but I have to drive 25 minutes some days to get to jujitsu. And I'm going, ugh. It's like, it's like, is this good? I wonder about that, right? And so we want our kids to have everything. <laughs> but maybe giving your kid Everything is not actually giving them everything. Maybe we have to choose and say no to some things. You know, single folks, you can begin to like practice this. You know, when you get off work, we tend to like, you know, fill our lives with Netflix and all our, you know, you go to Yelp, I haven't tried that restaurant. You know, I haven't had this boba tea. Okay, you're like apparently TPT on my side of town. There's like a line. Like, when is that line going to go away? Because <laughs> I want to try this tea. But, like, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, why, why am I thinking about this? Because it's not important. But that's, like, preoccupation. And I'm the professional Christian, <laughs> you know? And, but maybe there could be some, some things where we could say no to certain things so we could say yes to more important things. Because Jesus isn't walking through the city and thinking about the next movie that's coming out, you know, the, you know, the, the, the latest, you know, Game of Thrones. How is Game of Thrones going to end? <laughs> you know? I'm sure if Jesus is walking this, through the city, he's not going to read like five articles on the Warriors because it's the NBA Finals like I do. Right? Jesus is going to say no to some things so he can say yes to some hurting people. Right? And one of the things in our city is, and I see this both among Christians and non-Christians, we have really good intentions to the poor the people who are hurting. And they're just kind of like, the poor, they're out there somewhere, right? But do you actually know any of them? Are you in their lives? What do you actually do to clothe them, to visit them, to feed them, to love them? 
Like, that's mercy. Not just, well, you're poor and I have a good intention. I have good feelings towards you. You know, in our city, we have good feelings to the poor. And every now and then we drop a, you know, you go through like Safeway and then they ask you for that dollar and you're like, oh, I'm a really righteous person. I'll give you that dollar. I don't know, do you do that? And, um, and we do these things with a lot of feelings, but that's not, is that really mercy? I would say that's, that's a righteousness, which is really sin. <laughs> There's a lot of righteousness in our city. It's not righteousness. It's sin. <laughs> it's self-righteousness. And to God, he would say, take that away. That's gross. <laughs> you need mercy. You need repentance. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I want to just ask you, challenge you, where in your life can just there be some space? Maybe, you know, we're bad at this. So let's, let's pick something. We're bad at this because we're such constant comparers and we don't know how to live in covenant to be deeply united to Jesus. And he's the person that's right before us. We wake up in the morning and we're receiving his mercy. And then we go give his mercy. Instead, instead we go, I'm going to go out and then I'll just compare me to you. Oh, you're, you're worse than me. I'll look down upon you, whatever, or you failed me. <clears throat> so some space, and if you're not ready, I mean, like, I don't even necessarily expect you to have an action this week. Maybe, how about a prayer? Maybe this prayer, you, yourself, your spouse, you pray this for weeks. Pray this too. I challenge you. Pray this, Lord Put some mercy in my life, real mercy. A real priority in my life where I have space for mercy. And, and if you're, I don't know, if you have a little baby right now, it might be a little intense for you, but pray this. Because you want your children to have everything? Why don't you watch your son and daughter, when they wake up, you're like, wow, my dad is strange. Once a month, we go serve over there. And... Uh, I mean, I, I was thinking about, just, just trying to think of an example of something. I mean, gosh, I'm so like, not good. It's, I have to go back to college to think of a good example. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've gone to Bishop. I've gone to Native American Reservation. And I guess that's something that I've, I've regularly walked among the hurting and the weak and the morally weak, the poverty weak, the outsiders. But I'm thinking about something that, ch that changed my life. I mean, when I was in college as a freshman, I took this class. I mean, I didn't take it for a good reason. There was a girl I had a crush on. <laughs> I mean, she was a year older than me, so I never felt like I had any chance. And she was really pretty, and she was smart, all, you know, the whole shebang. And she goes, you should take this class, Yusong, because in this class, we're going to learn about the handicapped, and it's going to really be great for your life. And I was like, oh, I was like, sure, I care about the handicapped. I just kind of want to be around you. So I took this class, and as part of this class, for two and a half hours a week, you have to go to the y local YMCA and you have to teach disabled children how to swim. And I did this. They give you the little training. And, um, and for the first few weeks, I was thinking like, darn it, that girl that I like, she's not here. <laughs> That's kind of like what I was thinking for the first four weeks. I'm here swimming with these kids. I'm like, yeah, come on, kid. <laughs> And then after about week five, I started thinking, this is actually a really beautiful thing to do. And I started learning. Well, I'm this great college student. I'm going to help you poor, you know, poor, 
poor, you know, like handicapped kid. So I am such a good person. I'm going to help you. I mean, come on. Is this righteousness? It's wickedness. But in the inside, I began to realize, well, you're a really beautiful person. Instead of me being above you, how about if I come alongside of you and laugh with you, be friends with you? And I learned something. And I walked away thinking, I don't even know what grade I got in that class and who really cares? <laughs> so you will be enriched if you love mercy. Now let me just close my message this way. I've already been saying this. There's one most important person in your life. When you wake up, it's not your spouse. <laughs> it's not your son. It's not your daughter. It's not your boss. It's not your mom. <laughs> right? If you believe in Jesus, it's him. It's him. You wake up and you'll be angry. You wake up, you're stressed. You wake up, you're happy. You have like no reason why. And then you're going to go throughout your day and your righteousness is not even righteousness. And your love is like, <laughs> like kind of like sad, you give love to your child and it's like not very good. And what does Jesus give you? Mercy. And the gospel says that he came. He came for mercy. The cross is the ultimate mercy. Every day, the crucified Savior is your friend. The crucified Savior is mercy poured out on you. So when you're with him, he's like saying, you see these? You see these wounds? This is what you deserved. But you know what I give you? Mercy, grace, love, kindness. You don't have to be afraid. You never have to be afraid. And this is sometimes hard. We go, Lord, why didn't you like let that bad thing not happen to me? Why didn't you like, and we get a little upset sometimes that God didn't protect me. I mean, we, because we kind of, you know, we would like, you know, we would like Jesus to be like a helicopter parent to us. And then we get a little mad because that's the only way we think love is. But he goes like, no, actually, I wanted you to go through that. It'll make you stronger. Then you'll turn to me and I'll give you more. I'll give you my resurrection heart. You need to learn to hurt and then you can hurt with the hurting. <laughs> when you become lower at a certain point in your life, maybe you'll remember Tomorrow, then you'll be with me. And then tomorrow, you'll have mercy. Hmm. And you'll become beautiful. Because this is God, what God really wants. We want comfort. We want promotions. We want the best schools. We want the really good girlfriend. We want the best cars. We want the best vacations. We want all those things. But you know what God wants? He's like saying, I want you to have more mercy. Hmm. I want you to have more forgiveness. I want your heart to overflow with love, love, love. I want you to have this joy, joy, joy. I want you to like walk with a person who's weak and you don't even think it's, it's, it's a burden. You actually have love and joy because our Father, who I am, I'm a God of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And when I love you so much, I died so that I could give you 
abounding in steadfast love, mercy every day until you can repent and obey and give mercy. That's the person we have to see every day. And when we see this, this is the person that, this is the most important person. Then you'll walk out, and when someone wrongs you, you would go, oh, okay, I really want to, mm, okay. But Jesus, you will look at that person and you will give them forgiveness. When you look at that person, but you're, you need more food. You need visiting. And you know what Jesus is saying? When you do it for the least of these, my brothers, you're doing it for me. <laughs> when you see them, will you see him? <laughs> and when you see them, will you see this is you? <laughs> you and me, we were naked. We were in prison. We were wicked. We failed him again and again and, and again and again and again. And then he said, the cross. Mercy, forgiveness, grace, riches. We were poor and he became poor. We were wretched and he made himself wretched. And then we were on the outside and excluded and he made us on the inside. This is mercy. Know Jesus, walk with Jesus. And let's love our neighbors and each other because of him. Let's pray. A hard-hearted people are we. This accusation that you gave to your people in Israel, in Ezekiel, Lord, oh boy, we don't seek the lost and we don't feed the hungry. But we pray, Lord, that not because we are so good, but because you have had mercy upon those who deserve rejection and condemnation. Upon the wretched and the poor are we. And yet, you gave and poured upon us great, great mercy. May we receive your mercy. May we be givers of your mercy. May we live in covenant to be united with you, always before you, always with you. And we're bad at this, but thank you for putting up with us, forgiving us again and again. And may we not just live in forgiveness, taking it for granted, but because of forgiveness, because of mercy, may we live and take steps toward repentance and be merciful and like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.